You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to the Midnight Ride with Large William and the Prince of Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. Pennsylvania. Hey, how is everyone? I hope you're all doing very well. Uh, I am Large William, and across the border from me, in the great state of Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, uh, but not a Keystone cop, is uh, a friend, fellow gent, and the man who's been, uh, he's upped his, uh, his game even more. He's been a man of the pen, and or the keyboard, I guess, more accurately in this day and age, as well as... Uh, Given those honey-tinged vocal cords, uh, a workout here in my absence. Uh, Todd, thank you yes. for, um, for filling in, for uh, joining the, the squad as you... <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's uh, oh, he's in it to win it, man. <laughs> yeah, I try. No, no, it's my pleasure. You don't try, you do. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, man. Get the train going. Contrary to popular belief, the train doesn't just run no. on Brut Fabergé and baby oil. No, sometimes it needs a little high karate. Uh, yeah, it needs a little high karate, lots of caffeine. Oh, yeah. And uh, the stars to align. Uh, the stars didn't align for Sammy this week. Uh, as someone had so accurately pointed out, he didn't wash his hands after defending his tri-state arm wrestling title. And then he got immediately into the celebratory... Um, championship buffet and uh, you know he always likes to have lots of finger foods after a match and now here he is uh, laid up pretty sick so we had to come on and it's going to be a bit of a you know not obviously the usual GGTMC format um, this is really just going to be more of a what we've been watching lately and for me I'm not going to talk about everything I've been watching over the past three or four months but I think there is stuff over the past couple of months that I've often thought to myself, man, it's a shame I'm not, um, I haven't had an opportunity to, you know, to talk about this stuff because there's some really great stuff in there. And one of the great things the show does is it gives us a platform to champion films we love, right? And turn them on, mm-hmm. turn other people onto them. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I do want to say just a couple more things before housekeeping stuff, before we get into the, uh, the episode proper. Um, I should be back full-time in October. Uh, we like to have some festive programming and also, of course, our Toys for Tots from last year. So if you're listening, I've probably messaged you two or three times asking you to remind me uh, of your inclusion in that uh, program so we can get these rolling. I had said to Sammy uh, off the air that I'd love to really, for my picks, just bang out as many of the Toys for Tots as we can after Halloween, so that coverage will be coming very soon, uh, in addition to all the other coverage that you've uh, come to know and love. Uh, I think you guys are doing the Gong Show movie, and what else this week coming up? Uh, Della Morte, Della More. 
Oh, glad I'm not on that episode, man. <laughs> that's a that's a that, that film. I don't know. I got a kind of a contentious relationship with that film. It's uh, Miss Falke is nice. Um, Rupert uh, Everett is I almost said Rupert Grint. That would have been a different kind of film. Um, or Withery. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know, man. It just it doesn't work for me the way it should. Really. Yeah, I've, I've tried I've, a couple of times. Not not to give too much of it away, but for me, it probably works the most of any Suave film I've seen. Have you seen um, Opera? Not Opera. Uh, no, 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 not Opera. Um, church. Right. The Church. Oh, or church, yeah. And you yeah. like this more than those? I like that more. Th- yeah, I like this more than uh, The Church and Stage Fright, yeah. Actually, right. I reviewed The Church on the, uh, the blog a while back. But. I think I vaguely remember seeing that because you talked about that you... Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, again, not to give too much of it away, but it's both of those are two of the films that I watched recently that we'll be bringing up here, so we could dive into it then. Absolutely. Um, okay, well, let uh, without further ado, let me um, rattle off some here. Yeah. I've, I've actually been using the IMDb app in a bit of a different way. I used to just share that I, what I was watching. Um, but now I actually check in. So if I forget to write it in the ice cream notebook, I have it backed up on my check-ins. So it's kind of cool. Um, I'm going to go all the way back to the end of July. Oh, and now, bear in mind, I, I should say too, I haven't really officially been able to say on the show um, why I took an absence. Uh, I did so just because, uh, you know, I'm trying to start out some stuff professionally and between two kids and work and the summer around the corner and... Um, Nothing dire, just trying to get housekeeping in order at home and keep all those balls in the air. And as long as uh, I had been doing that, you know, eight years or close to eight years, um, it had just it had worn me down a little bit. And I didn't stop loving doing the show. The show's given me so many friendships and opportunities. Uh, I feel very rich and blessed for the relationships and the experiences uh, I've had because of the show. And I don't intend to ever give it up uh, full time. But it reached a point where I just had a lot going on, and I felt like I was up to my gills, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get everything done that I needed to. I needed to kind of shift gears and, and um, reassess where I was at with a lot of stuff. Like I said, nothing major. No, my marriage wasn't in shambles, or you know anything juicy like that. I just, um, I needed to step away and just you know reassess things and, and spend as much time with my kid as I could this summer, um, in addition to uh, just getting some work stuff sorted out. Um, because the clock stops for no man. So uh, I didn't watch very much this summer. It certainly didn't feel that way. I was averaging about 13 to 15 films a month, which, uh, and most of it was child-friendly because my kids wanted to stay up. They're getting older. They're almost eight and six. And I figured it was a good opportunity this summer to get them into some stuff that um, that I was fond of as a child, some kind of Amblin-y stuff and stuff from the late 80s, and uh, I'll, you'll, you'll hear me talk about it here in a bit, but um, yeah, so, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot. I, I obviously came on the episode uh, to talk about the Nakatsu Noir, uh, the second box set, which we, we both enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything I've, I'm going to talk about is going to be kind of post that. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to go first, or do you want me to go first? How do you want to do that? Um, it's, it's up to you. Whatever way you want to go is fine. Mm. Why don't we do this? Let's break it up. I'll, I'll do some, and then I'll kick it over to you, and then I'll kick it back to me. Okay. So it's not just me joining on and on and on and on for uh, a great length of time. Um, 
I happened onto a documentary, City of Gold, back in uh, the end of July. Uh, it's about Jonathan Gold, food critic, pretty celebrated in his circle. He's uh, an Angelino through and through, I, th- I want to say born and raised there. And um, just looked at him, kind of an easy, laid-back documentary, looked at him. He's, he's one of these food critics that helped to, he kind of did, in a much sort of um, grander and, and more scholarly way, um, did the sort of thing that we kind of like to do with cinema, and that is he never thumbed his nose at um, street truck food or greasy spoons, mom-and-pop diners. He ventured into a lot of ethnic communities to try food, authentic food, and um, it's just really about him and kind of follows him around to a few places. It talks to his family a bit, and uh, it doesn't really have uh, much of a drive. It's, it's content to just kind of relax and look at him and kind of his influences on the uh, the food criticism scene. And uh, I, I quite enjoyed this. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. I have to be honest. I, I'd heard of him and you know read a few things in passing, but I didn't realize quite how large he was until I uh, uh, in a in a celebrity sense, um, until I had seen this. Uh, are you familiar with him at all? No, no, don't know anything about him. No, this was a good documentary, man. I, I, as I've gotten older, I really like kind of these, uh, and you hear me talk about some of the Les Blank and Louis Mal documentaries that are just kind of very easygoing and very observational. They're not too intrusive, and I felt like this is kind of a throwback to some of the ones that those guys would have done at that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, what's this? Oh, this was fun. Uh, um, I did a film called, I, I remember, I, what did I do? I saw a trailer or something online, and I thought, oh, i got to see this. So I, I went about it in uh, gray area means, and I acquired a copy um, from the place that shall not be named. And it was really an 80s American riff on Black Mama, White Mama, which is, of course, uh, a riff on, what's the, the was it Tony Curtis and... Quiet ones, and, uh, oh, God. Boitier, uh, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, so, you know, this is kind of the, the third um, iteration of that. However, uh, this one has Tatum O'Neill and Irene Cara. Oh, God. Yeah, and it's directed by Jake Gyllenhaal's dad, Stephen Gyllenhaal. <laughs> what the hell? What's this called? It's called Certain Fury. Uh, it's got Moses Gunn in it. Peter Fonda plays a scumbag pimp. Um, who else is in it? It's got a really fun kind of uh, familiar face cast. Um, anyway, so they're two, uh, two girls, uh, two young women who are about to get sentenced. And some shit pops off in the courtroom and now they're on the run. And uh, it's, it's fun, man. I mean, it's, it's not as sleazy as like a Vice Squad, but... Um, it's it's it was a fun film and it's a shame Gyllenhaal didn't do more in this realm or this kind of canony, um, vestrony kind of realm. It, it's tight. It's under ninety minutes. Um, it's it's solid. It was solid stuff, and I'd never heard of it until I'd seen the poster. So it was good yeah, stuff. Nice, yeah. Yeah, no, it was you know you could, you could spend ninety. Well, minutes. I mean, you had me at Irene Cara to begin with. Well, that was it. The hook was her. I mean, and and it reminds me. That Tatum O'Neill, uh, at times she's she's a bit overmatched, but you know she wasn't uh, a bad actress. No, you know, no. At times. I mean, she's done some great stuff. She worked with Bogdanovich and whatnot. But um, they, they, it's Christy McNichol. And, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, it's great when I watch the trailer for this because they they sell it as Oscar winner Irene Cara, Oscar winner Tatum O'Neill, 
Oscar nominee Peter Fonda. You know, really trying to class it up, and it's such a sleazy film in a lot of ways. But yeah, that's so that was, you got to sell the sizzle, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the formula. So um, next up was one that my wife chose, and no one was I shouldn't no one was really vocal about it but I wasn't for some reason all that keen on watching it uh it was 2009's Disney film The Princess and the Frog okay now let me tell you that I was sorely sorely mistaken um and I've praised my wife repeatedly since then because this has really pole vaulted itself into like maybe a top five all-time Disney film for me I really really loved this film um, it's beautiful hand-drawn animation. It kind of reminds you of that it has a Disney magic. Um, it's got a great cast. And one of the things I really loved about it was that um, for once we get a princess of color. It's primarily an African-American cast. It takes place in New Orleans and it really feels like New Orleans. Uh, I, I mean, as much as a cartoon world uh, is going to amplify things, you know, uh, with the culture and the cuisine and Mardi Gras and the architecture and, sure. you know, but it really immerses you wonderfully into that world. Um, it's got John Goodman, Terrence Howard, Oprah Winfrey, um, Keith David's great in it. He plays like a, a, um, a Baron Samiti type. Um, it's really, I mean, Emeril Lagasse as a gator. Uh, see Bam a lot. What's that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I really love this film. I think it's on instant. I can't recommend it enough. The prince in it kind of graded on me a little bit, but on the whole, I think it was beautifully animated. Um, it's got some you know, great sequences, great set pieces. Um, yeah, high, high recommend for sure. And I, I totally slept on it, totally slept on it. Uh, next up, uh, Hulu, man, going into their Criterion stuff before it gets taken off their shelf, and uh, or their virtual shelf. Um, I saw that uh, there was a Fukusaku I wasn't familiar with, Fall Guy. It, it's pretty deep-cut Fukusaku. Early 80s, and I kind of like digging into some of this off-the-beaten-path early 80s Japanese stuff, because I feel like it's it's a real blind spot for a lot of us. Oh, yeah. It's, it was, it's hard to get, um... You know, the 70s stuff has come out in box sets and, you know, much easier to acquire. But this this is a really good film. Uh, it's very heartfelt. Uh, it looks at... Uh, the, the titular fall guy is a stuntman in the film industry. And he's also kind of a lackey to uh, a studio star who's a total piece of shit. And he gets a girl pregnant and he thinks it's going to ruin his career kind of like one of these Nakatsu kind of heartthrob guys, right? Okay. Uh, thinks, thinks he's fancies himself a bit of a gangster. Uh, thinks he's going to ruin his career, so he forces the uh, his friend, kind of the lackey stuntman fall guy, to marry her and just kind of uh, take care of things. You know, be the dad. And and it, it becomes a very sweet, funny, heartfelt film. Uh, something I had not really seen a lot of from Fukusaku. No, I was going to ask actually whether this was more in line with uh, with his more um, yakuza. No, stuff. no. I mean, there's there's stuff in there that shows obviously his awareness for that world, mm-hmm. um, but it, you see a lot of behind the scenes filmmaking stuff, and it's a very sweet, heartfelt film. Uh, it's on Criterion under Hulu on the Criterion. It's a hard film to find. Otherwise, oh, it's a shame it's not more well known. Um, 
talking about Les Blank and New Orleans. I was still feeling the New Orleans vibe after Princess and the Frog. So I, uh, and I've been really digging into some of the Les Blank documentaries and I decided to watch Always for Pleasure, which is part of the box set. It's again on Hulu. Um, it just examines New Orleans. It shows a funeral. And New Orleans opens up with a funeral with Alain Toussaint, great New Orleans musician, uh, as a talking head in it. Um, then a lot of food and St. Patrick's Day party and a lot of cultural stuff. And it, it's interesting to see the costumes and um, sort of the the cultural or the um, just very such a very unique region in America. And it's really captured well on film. Aaron Neville makes uh, an appearance. Really fascinating stuff. Again, it's late 70s documentary filmmaking um, that just works beautifully for me. Uh, Les Blank's been a real uh, revelation for me this year. Uh, next up was another one that really has become, it's funny, you know, over the course of a summer, uh, things change, you know, your kids latch on to things, and I decided we really got to get into some Ghibli stuff. So uh, we threw on My Neighbor Totoro. Have uh, you, have you seen the Ghibli stuff? Oh, I've seen a lot of it, yeah. Okay, cool. Um this one over huge, huge with my kids. Nice. They, they absolutely adored it. They loved the cat bus. They loved Totoro. And it was very, uh, it was great because having children, they like to be able to identify with the characters. And this was about a brother, uh, not a brother, two sisters. So, you know, each of my children kind of latches on to the child of their age, approximately, and kind of, you know, walks in their shoes. Um, the thing I've, I've really, and I'll talk about this in a minute with some more, not a minute, probably a few minutes, with some other um, Ghibli stuff, the few Ghiblis that I've seen, is I really like how how relaxed they feel. They don't feel like they need to go from A to B to C, like a, a very conventional story arc. Right, right, right. They feel much more relaxed. Uh, not a ton happens, but to these characters, it's kind of a big deal. It doesn't need to be... Well, they're they're kind of idyllic, right? They're they're almost very much with the uh, the work of somebody like Ozu, who just kind of you know, lets the story unfold as it unfolds. Absolutely, and it inhabits, you know, a sm their small corner of the earth, and it doesn't need to really expand much beyond that. And it, it's wonderful, like really wonderful. And we happened to go to Montreal, I think a week later, two weeks later, and we were in Chinatown, and of course they saw Totoro stuffed animals, and uh, they wanted one, so they, they had them, and they, they carried them around. And we uh, they had those, and this Taiwanese... Um, Here's a little food food tip for anyone. If you have a Chinatown, look for Taiwanese shaved ice or Bao Bing. This uh, this was the MVT man. I got to tell you, we had this shaved ice. I had lychee fruit flavored shaved ice, and uh, man, it, it was killer. How how would you describe lychee fruit? Lychee fruit to me is kind of like a sweeter grape in some ways without the skin. Okay. Like once you peel off the hard outside, like it's flaky. It's almost like a boiled egg where it's got this little hard outside and you break it off and the lychee fruit is kind of like a grape with a big pit in the middle. Okay. They're a little bit of work, which is why I think most people don't get into them, but Italians really like them. Uh, obviously, Asian people dig on them, but this was killer, man. My wife got a bubble tea and I always, I always bust her ass. I'm like, you got to live on the edge a little bit. To try new things, and every time we've been out somewhere lately, she's uh, she, <laughs> she went for the safe bet, and uh, she's ended up having most of mine. So it's really good, man. If you got a Chinatown around, look for uh, Bao Bing 
or, or Taiwanese shaved ice. It was killer, killer, killer. Cool. Uh, and further in line with the serendipity, we watched Ernest and Celestine. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, French animation. Again, looks almost watercolory. Yep. I know you've seen this, I think, right? Yes. Okay, this was amazing. Um, I felt very blessed to be able to kind of program this for the kids so shortly after Totoro because there's a lot of nods to Totoro in this. Um, and I think the big, big, big thing for me is Forrest Whitaker voices uh, Clyde, or not Clyde, um, Clyde, Ernest, uh, the big bear in it. It's about a friendship between a bear and a young mouse. Uh, has uh, you know certainly a lot more going for it uh, in terms of subtext and commentary, but I, I really love this. Are you a fan of it? Oh yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It was really good, man. Really, really good stuff. Um, I don't know that the team that did it. I don't think. Um, I don't know what else they've done because Sylvain Chomet is kind of the big. Uh, oh, a town called Panic. You know, I wasn't really fond of that actually. Oh no! I meant I've always meant to see that one. It's been it was on my uh, Netflix queue for a while, and I think it's gone now. But yeah, no, I meant to see that one. I never got around to it. Yeah, I I didn't like that as much as I could. Ernest Celestine, I think, has a few Easter eggs pertaining to that film. But okay, this was yeah, this was great, man. Really loved it. Um, William wanted to stay up late with me one night, so we threw on Cop and a Half <laughs> with Burt Reynolds. Wait, this is, yeah, I was gonna say that this is the Burt Reynolds one, right? Yeah. I gotta say, you know what? This is this is uh, kind of this is great kind of GGTMC for kids material. Um, Bert's fun in it. It's got a solid cast. Ruby D's sweet in it. The kid in it, Norman D. Golden the um, second. He's really good in it. As I think you'll admit, a lot of times kids in films are too precocious. Uh, yeah. Well, they're many adults usually, or they're many adults. Yeah. And as is always the case with Bert, and I've mentioned this on the air, Bert has a, a wonderful knack for creating chemistry with his co-stars. Mm-hmm. He does a great job with Golden in this, and it's a shame that out of all the kid actors, Golden didn't do more post this because he's genuinely lovable. Uh, he's sweet. He's smart without being too smart. Um, this this was fun, man. I really liked it a lot. It was William really dug it. Uh, I'm trying to think who the heavy was in it. Um, it's got Ray Sharkey in it, I think. Yeah, Ray Sharkey's in it. Frank Severo, who's got the worst hair in the history of cinema. <laughs> I mean, the worst. Mark McCauley, who always plays a piece of shit in films. Um, it's got a really rad <laughs> boat chase towards the back end, actually. Um, reminded me of um, Fear is the Key. I think that one has a boat chase. That one has a sub, the sub scene. But anyway. Um, yeah, so Cop and a Half was, uh, was a good time. Cool. Uh, next up was one I'm pretty sure you've seen. I know Sammy's seen. Uh, it's I Am Thor. No, I haven't seen this one yet. Are you uh, Are you a fan? <laughs> are you a fan of John Michael Thor? Uh, I don't know that I'd say I'm a fan. I know of him. I've seen <laughs> what the hell was it? Zombie Nightmare. Yeah, Rock and Roll Nightmare. Uh, no, no, he did Zombie Nightmare too. And did he do? He also did what? Uh, Black Roses. Uh, I don't. No, I don't think he was in Black Roses. Maybe that's. Something. I don't think so. He did two, though. I know he did yeah, two. Yeah, he did the Rock and Roll Nightmare, and he did Zombie Nightmare. Okay. Um, then. Yeah, off the top of my head, those are the only two that I can think of. Hmm. I've, I've, yeah, I'm a big fan of... But, I mean, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a song of his or anything like that. It's. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by him, certainly, but how could you not be? 
Yeah, no, he's not in uh, Black Roses. For some reason, I always thought he was. I haven't seen Black Roses in a long... Oh, that's a John Fasano joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that probably since the VHS days. Yeah, I same here. I can remember they had that embossed yep. um, VHS cover. Uh, it's on blue now. But uh, this is a pretty good documentary. It's it's. I got to say, you watch it, and I know myself, I, I really felt bad for him in a lot of ways. Like... <laughs> It's kind of like the Anvil one in some ways, but in some ways I feel like Thor... I don't want to say he was more delusional. Hmm. Uh, he's very likable. You know, he's, he seems a lot nicer than um, the persona would be, and it has sort of a nice arc. Um, you know, with this stuff, you're always, you're cheering for the you know the scrappy kind of never gives up, you know, chases his dreams guy, but yeah. there's some points when you really cringe at, at where things are at, but, you know... He's chasing his dream, and it, it's 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 a good documentary. I wouldn't say it's you know top thirty material for me, but it was good. Uh, next up was one that'll definitely make my top thirty. Um, wasn't feel good at all. Left me pretty miserable and angry. Um, stars, you know, one of the most prominent uh, thinkers of our time, Noam Chomsky. It's Requiem for the American Dream. Okay. Really good stuff, man. Um, I don't know. You got to see it, I guess. I don't want to get on it too much, but it's uh, it's pretty infuriating stuff. Uh, the less said, the better. Um, next up, decided to introduce the kids to the wonderful world of the Power Glove and 1989's The Wizard. And <laughs> <laughs> now, how old were you when The Wizard came out? Uh, I was too old for it. Mm-hmm. I was not. I was nine years old. Okay. So I was the right age. And this was that same thing I talked about with the siblings, right? I had a younger brother who was a couple years younger than me. Um, so, you know, you kind of fill those shoes. Um, this this went over very well with my kids. Uh, Fred Savage is great. Luke Edwards is fine. Jenny Lewis is sort of the spunky female sidekick is good. It's a road movie. There's a power glove. There's Super Mario 3. Um, it's got uh, Curtis... was I going to say? Curtis Slater. I was hoping uh, say Curtis Blow. That'd be that'd be wicked, man. Um, Sam McMurray, Bo Bridges, Christian Slater. It's uh, it's a fun cast. It's it's a pretty fun cast, and it was nice to see that. And my kids, it was funny because when they saw the Power Glove, they're like, "Oh wow, can we get that?" I'm like, "No, it's terrible. It's the most. <laughs> it's, it, it was the worst. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Gimmick. Uh, the worst gimmick. The worst uh, accessory." Uh, uh, perhaps in the history of video games. Just yeah, terrible. Macho Man loved it, though. Yeah, did he Did he do an ad for it? Yeah. Oh, I got it. Pretty see. sure he did. I'm almost 100% sure he did, but... My God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah! Yeah, that's awesome. I got to see that, man. Does he, did he have tassels hanging from it? <laughs> did he ever not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um... Okay, so next up was a short. I, I, I somehow I stumbled onto an article about this, and it sounded really intriguing. It's called the Phone Box, 1972, uh, or La Cabina, um, made in Spain. Uh, this was a time when Spain was still, you know, uh, Franco was still in power, and uh, things weren't great. Um, but this was a short that I, I remember reading an article about, and. Uh, it just seemed to have haunted a lot of people. Um, it's kind of like a bit Hitchcocky, Twilight Zoney, 
about this man, this working man who gets trapped inside a like a telephone booth, and no one's able to free him. Okay. And um, it was pretty good. Uh, it's on YouTube, La Cabina. It's subtitled. You can see it. Uh, I quite liked it. Uh, interesting to see you know some of that seventies Spanish architecture. Um. So yeah. Uh, next up was one that I had been really primed to uh and after this one i'm actually going to pass it over to you for a little okay. bit um i was really primed to show my kids because i felt like it was a good transition film and there's going to be a few years before they get to see most of his catalog um arnold schwarzenegger's last action hero uh-huh nice yeah so i am a big fan of this one uh, i'd seen it in theaters and i'd seen it maybe once after and i didn't I didn't understand uh, the lack of uh, the lack of love that it. Uh... I think it gets more lack of love because of how it's. Oh. Yeah, I like King, that. King Savage. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, I, I think it gets a lot of hate because of a what it did to what was it Paramount. What and B, how it's really kind of, it's it's kind of the apex of uh, that sort of excessiveness, even though that's what it was lampooning, mm-hmm. in a way. Because uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, you have that whole thing with the, with the, um, Schwarzenegger doing like the Hamlet thing and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, to be, um, not to be, not to be. Not to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that, that you know, it... it it gets a lot of shit for that, for its because it's so. Well, maybe it gets more shit because of how odd it is, but it certainly, you know, it played to the excessiveness that it was sending up. I think it's uh, an amazing film. I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot more than yeah. I, I agree. It holds up really well. Yeah, it gets more shit than it, it deserves, definitely. But I think yeah, you, I think the fact that Arnold had like a lot of control over the film, it must have cost a lot of money. It's a weird film to market because it's not quite a kids' film, and it's kind of it's almost like you got to have kids or be sort of a cinephile that can appreciate the kind of meta commentary of the industry and the genres that it's lampooning or, or yeah, you know, the common theater gore may not really dig it yeah it, it never really it didn't really have yeah it was kind of a it was almost like a niche yeah. mainstream movie betwixt in between yeah um i loved it the kids loved it it runs over two hours man it, and john mctiernan like I mean, it just captures that late 80s, early 90s, L.A. kind of, it's, I don't know. And Sino, I, I don't know if it was CDR, someone really had a problem with the, the main kid in it. I was fine with him. I think he was what oh, he... He's, he's workable, yeah. He's, he's workable. Um, but, I mean, this thing had such a fun cast. F. F. Murray Abraham, Art Carney, Charles Dance, uh, Tom Noonan, Frank McRae, great African-American character actor, Robert Prosky, uh, Sammy's favorite. <laughs> that hog. <laughs> that hog, yeah. Hog smuggler. That's right, man. Uh, Anthony Quinn, Mercedes Rule, um, Ian McKellen, Toru Tanaka, Joan Plowright, Lisa Gibb. I mean, it's got so many cameos. Uh, Bridget Wilson, who I had a big crush on. Sven Oli Thorson, Tina Turner. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. So many great in-jokes. A lot of Easter eggs. Um, really enjoyed it on a rewatch. I'm glad I got to see it with my kids. Because they've seen the Terminator films. And they've seen this it'll be years before they see uh, oh and, and robert patrick shows up as the t1000 leaving the police station which is kind of funny yeah, yeah um 
but uh, which is a great little cameo, actually. But it'll be years before they see like Predator and Commando. Maybe Commando before, yeah. Commando definitely before Predator. But there's some like really? intense. I don't know, man. Predator, like it, it feels pretty raw. Like I don't know. Mind you, I haven't seen any of them in probably about twelve to fifteen years. Like start to finish. Well, Commando's eh, Commando's a pretty violent movie. Well, it is, but Predators, <laughs> Predators, like dudes get skinned alive in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> you, know, you got me on that one. <laughs> you know, like I know in Commando, you know, there's like, um, what's his name? Uh, hey, John. Um, oh, uh, oh, oh, Vernon Wells. <laughs> Vernon Wells gets like the steam pipe, like impaled by that, and yeah, you know, it's got a few things for sure. But I, I saw that while well, I was young when I saw it, but. I don't know. It just it doesn't feel as uh, <laughs> as nasty. And then even Running Man, I think there's that's probably a little too nasty still. Uh, well, yeah, but Running Man has the the virtue of being a little more cartoony, uh, satirical. Yeah, yeah. But it'll be years before they see RoboCop as well. On a, oh yeah, yeah. No, that's I would definitely nasty. Hold on RoboCop, yeah. yeah. See, but now they're getting to this age where like well, any Verhoeven for that matter. Any Verhoeven is yeah. No, no uh, basic instincts. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Uh, oh, what the fuck? The Invisible Man. Oh fuck. Shit. Hollow Man. Hollow Man. Yeah. No Total Recall. None of that for a while. And it's a shame. You know. No soon Turkish enough. No, no. Definitely no Turkish delight. Not with me in the room. Only on a plate. Yeah. I don't need them to see. Uh, um, Howard's Hog with me in the room. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, yeah, so let's, let me kick it over to you for a bit, because I've been just blah, 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 on and on here. All right. Uh, I'm going to preface this and say that I, I'm my memories, as always, are not the, not the best. On the, hey, you fit in great around here. <laughs> especially, uh, especially when I don't have my, my notes. Uh, even when I'm taking notes anymore, half the time I forget what the hell I'm writing. Nice. Mid-sentence. Mid-sentence. Nice. Uh, so... Uh, going to the Philippines for uh, a little movie called Super Beast 1972, I want to say. Uh, directed not by Sirio Santiago, but by a guy by the name of George Schenk, um, who was primarily, I think, I'm pretty sure this was his only directorial uh, effort. Uh, he basically was more or less a writer uh, and producer. Um, I think he wrote, uh, wait, let me see. Do, 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 do. I know he wrote Future World, or uh, at least was one of the writers on Future World, if there were more than one. Um, other than that, he, he kind of stuck to television uh, and uh, you know carved out his little his little niche there. Uh, but this was essentially a um, a play on uh, the island of Doctor Moreau oh. and uh, most dangerous game and kind of a Filipino uh, like prison. Film that sounds like an amazing all wrapped, in, all, wrapped in, all wrapped in one. Yeah, you when you you get to these movies, the John Ashley movies, because I think John Ashley was a producer on this as well. If I'm not, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, um, you really kind of you, you, you kind of got to be a little bit careful because for everything like this, you get stuff like and don't get me wrong, I do like this one as I do like the one I'm about to mention as well. I just like it a little bit differently. Like the Twilight People or uh, I think yep. Beast of Yellow Knights, another one. Yeah. Uh, so this is a little more serious. It's not as uh, flamboyant, um, even though you know that the Neanderthal makeup that they uh, they use in it is you know 
it, you could kind of see somebody chuckling at it. Uh, fair enough on that. But uh, the the main character is a, a woman, which is kind of refreshing. Um, of course, you get uh, Vic Diaz as the the fat, disgusting, uh, corrupt police. Naturally. Uh, naturally. If he wasn't that, he was a gangster. So, yes. or uh, like a uh, like when he, when he was a uh, vampire, vampire hookers. Yeah, he was the the gay farting hooker. Yeah. Or uh, henchman. Sorry, not a hooker. Ooh. God, that would be scary. I don't know if we're revealing a little bit too much about your proclivities on air, man. Farting hookers. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's nice. something I think. But um, the old uh, the old Bronx cheer. <laughs> Them bottom berries. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was actually I was I went into this kind of thinking it was going to be. You know, really just not much going on, and you could just kind of turn your mind off. And you could if you wanted to, uh, but it it really just uh, it impressed me with how uh, with how good it is. I'm not going to say it's Pantheon by any, chance, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it's certainly worth a watch if you're uh, in the mood for something a little bit different. Or even give me, something that, give me the title again. The, uh, Super Beast. One word. Which I would, I would. Ooh, unfortunately, the first uh, many results, first three or four, are Rob Zombie, yeah. Yeah, that's where he got the title from. Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's not man. bad. I mean, this thing's getting yeah. ravaged on uh, IMDb uh, with a cool two point seven. Ah, they're nuts. Um, this barbarians. Oh come on. Two point seven is pretty bad. Like, come on, really? Sure. Yeah, I, I I have a hard time going that low with most things. It's got to be really. I had to bottom out at like three at most. Yeah, it's got to be really fucking like you got to you got to make me angry and make me hate you to go lower than like three and a half. Yeah, yeah, no, you do, you do. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I don't know. I I just I went into it expecting nothing at all, and uh, wound up you know pleasantly surprised. So yeah, this is a, a recommend, especially if you're uh, you're into the. You know, horror, fil- uh, horror films. So it's kind of like um, Air Supply. You made love out of nothing at all. Oh, I did. Uh, <laughs> were, they, I used to have a KTEL compilation record that had that on it. <laughs> nice. My God. But it also had uh, play, uh, Queen of Hearts, playing with the Queen of Hearts, and yep. uh, uh, Fire and Ice by Pat Benatar. Well, I won't get into that whole thing. Let me ask you this minor sort of digression. What was with that trend uh, in the 80s where you would get an album and it would have all these amazing songs, but it was all sung by other people? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was a bullshit trend that was. You would buy an album, you think, oh, amazing. It's got, you know, uh, Toto, Greatest Hits of Toto, and Michael Jackson, and fucking Pat Benatar and it's I got, never understood that. And then it's like, it's covers, man. It's, it's, it's Stevie Wonder. It's like, it's such. Dog shit. How do, how was that even a thing, man? Well, I guess it was just cheaper because they could get the the, the rights to the uh, the actual music without having to pay the artists who sang them. So they would just go you know, get some fucking bar band or whatever and say, hey, we got uh, you know we got we we blessed the rains down in Africa with this uh, with this song and you're gonna sing it. It's terrible. It's a, what a bizarre trend. Anyway, I just I had to share that. I've never really shared that before. Yeah, I had buried that uh, that memory alongside of Pet Rocks, but Pet uh, <laughs> Rocks. Yeah. I was more yeah. of a sea monkey kind of guy. Uh, I had sea monkeys. Oh yeah, little what were they? Krills, right? Yeah. Yeah. Think so. Bad. Um. So yeah, it's a 
Yeah, I don't know. I that would actually be make for an interesting article. I wonder if anybody's ever actually written about that. But uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, I finally I got around to this one, which uh, a lot of people uh, seem to either love or hate, and it is uh, from blah, 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 2015, uh, the Assassin. And have you seen this one? Oh, uh, the mainland China film, the Wuxia. It was like a top five for me. I absolutely adored it. It worked perfectly for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot myself. Um, the thing about this is, uh, and I was paying attention, so I can't really blame it on that, but I found the, uh, I found the story was difficult to follow, and I kept confusing a lot of the people in it because of, uh, because of how similar... The timeline was, yeah, and how similar the uh, their their uh, their houses were, or their palaces, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wound up like getting confused a lot between who, and plus the I think the two uh, the two young guys in it, well, the two younger guys in it, uh, both are uh, you know look similar, and they both have facial hair that's really similar. So I'm always like, well, shit, which one is this one? So, yep. Uh, but other than that, uh, I, I liked it a lot. I think that. If I'm being 100% honest, I liked it more on uh, from an objective point of view than from a subjective point of view because sure. of because of like what I said before. Um, I think it is absolutely gorgeous. Oh yeah, it, uh, I mean it, it is it's stunningly uh, stunningly shot and uh, and put together. Shu uh, Ki uh, does a remarkable job. Uh, absolutely, who barely talks at all. And I love, love, love that every fight scene that she's in, she barely moves. Oh, yeah. And she's whipping the shit out of people. She's great. And she has a face that is like a beautiful yet very fragile. And I think she emotes um, pain and melancholy very well with just a facial expression. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I would agree with that. Uh, so I wound up, yeah, I wound up, I did like this, uh, like I said, a great deal, but more from the objective side, more from the technical, uh, and the, uh, aesthetic side than from the story side. Sure. Uh, and plus, I mean, I think you go a lot, there's a lot of, uh, spells in this where there's no dialogue at all. So if you happen to be, uh, on the tired side, I could see you falling asleep during it. It is a very still quiet uh, film in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah, that's the that's the thing. It just kind of uh, does. It's not really a. Uh, it's not what we would call pacey. What do you give it out of ten? I believe I wound up around seven, maybe a little bit higher. Okay, I was on uh, eight, seven, five, or nine. Okay. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I really, really was impressed with it. But yeah, no. it was still good for you. Yeah, yeah, it works for me, man. Um, I got done with that, and as soon as I get back to my. Uh, I caught, yeah, uh, I caught up with uh, Matteo Garone's uh, reality from 2000. Oh, this is a good one. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I did not particularly care for it uh, outside of the last third. Um, I just I I had such a hard time getting into this. I mean, I tried and I tried and I tried, and I just I couldn't give a shit about this guy mm-hmm. uh, and everything he's going through until. He finally hits that point when he starts to um, change how he's uh, he's acting. Yep. Um, and from that point on, then I was, then I became interested. But that, like I said, it was only the last third. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it 
it is interesting. Well, here's the other thing I had a problem with is that it, it just didn't feel like I thought that it was going to be more focused on uh, like the the cult of reality television like throughout rather than just being I mean a lot of the film is just him kind of doing his thing with his family it's almost it almost felt kind of like home movies sure so, but I, I, I think... guess I guess in that way you could look at you could look at it like how it reflects the other piece with the, the reality television part of it oh, from that absolutely I think the, the stylistic and technical choices were made to echo the age and and the the, the view that we all have, and I, I really loved how garish the film was. I think it, it just, I think it captured um, not just Italian, but specifically because it is Italian, I think it captured this sort of um, middle-class, sort of reality TV-obsessed Italians perfectly. The very garish, and the water park scene, and... Yeah, that was know. great. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? It's uh, You can't win them all. No, no, but they, I, yeah, it just it just didn't work for me as much as I wanted it to, and I was looking forward to it. Uh, now I got to get around to uh, Depew's uh, reality. Um, uh, if you like his work, yes, I think you'll love it. Okay, I I loved it. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his. I think it might be my might be my favorite of his. Really? I okay. really enjoyed it. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe I'm going to, I don't know, maybe I'm going to have to give this one another spin down the road, but it just didn't connect. Uh, I don't know what the hell it was, but, and like I said, I mean, I was trying, I was really trying to, to get into it as much as I could, and just not there, man. Sometimes, yeah. I, I'll tell you this, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. I did quite like it. I think it was, like, honorable mention for me the year it came out, but, like, a yeah. seven, seven five. Well, Ronnie's, or... Ronnie's, he did Gamora, correct? Yeah. Uh, Okay, okay. Yeah, I like that one all right. Oh, yeah, that's a um, tremendous film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, moving on from that, uh, I went to 1977, sticking with Italy, and Domenico Paolo... Paolo I'm not even going to try that one. Stunt Squad, Paolella. Let me see. Paolella. Paolella. That's a good film. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's very serviceable. Let me see. Domenico Paolella. Come on, I keep I put stunt squadro. <laughs> Nineteen Yeah, Domenico Paolella. There we go. With the old Cipriani there by. <laughs> and Botsuki yeah. off the chain, man. Yeah, oh my god, his uh, <laughs> Jesus. his uh, his fashion choices are magnifique. They are. I mean, he really he's fucking in it to win it, man. That that's got a great poster too. Yeah, yeah. No, and I was, I was. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, we. I remember we uh, we covered this on the show. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. Think we covered the blue, which is a mediocre blue, um, but uh, Vittorio Mezzogiorno became like an all-time GGTMC bad guy in this. <laughs> he talk about fashion choices. He wears like that satin yeah. bomber jacket with no shirt on, and yeah, with the fur collar. Yeah, he's he's another one. He's a fashion plate man. Yeah, buddy. Uh, but yeah, no, I uh, I went into this thinking it was going to be like mid tier. I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, it uh, it moves along nicely. Uh, uh Giorno's a real piece of shit. I mean, he opens fire at the drop of a pin. Oh yeah. Uh, doesn't even you know doesn't blink an eye. Uh, 
Um, and uh, it, uh, it, you know, it, it moves along nicely. It's it's just outlandish enough to kind of make it stand out from the crowd a little bit. But yeah. then at, at the end, you kind of get a, a nice little, uh, you kind of get a nice little um, twist on the whole, um, the whole vigilante slash, you know, cop gone rogue kind of thing that was kind of the, the, the whole Polizio Tesci, um, you know, uh, genre because it was all built on, you know, oh, we're sick of the crime and we're going to take law into our own hands and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought there was a nice little twist on that at the end. Yes. Uh, I won't give away, but, uh, you know, it really kind of, it, uh, it tied up nicely for me. So, uh, yeah, I wound up, uh, I wound up really digging that one. I can't remember if I said it on the air, but the older he got and the older Joe D'Alessandro got, the more they started to look like each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, moving from there over to a rewatch of 1989's The Church. Oh, yeah. That's funny I should mention that. Uh, Michele Suave. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this one, uh, I like it. I like that... It's just off the wall, but I also, it's I, it's really disjointed for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, yeah, okay, we we have to take into consideration that this is late cycle Italian horror, so uh, you know a lot of them were a little bit more uh, goofy and and you know throwing every inch of spaghetti at the wall to try and get something to stick. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but this one, this one. Uh, Really, it's just it. It just there's segments of it that just don't make sense, and not that they necessarily need to make sense. But even by Italian horror yeah, standards, they don't make kinda, sense. Yeah, there's there's people who do things in one scene. Next thing you see them, next time you see them, and there's you know there's nothing wrong with them. Yep. Or um, you know we get no explanation for certain other things. I'm trying not to give anything away, obviously. No, but, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I do love the imagery. It looks fantastic, uh, and it's got some you know great atmosphere to it. Great locale. Oh yeah, absolutely outstanding. And you get uh, a very very young uh, Asia Argento or Asia Argento. Yeah. She pronounces it. Um, kind of getting uh, getting her little trial by fire. Um, some great special effects. Uh, Especially the uh, the demon uh, at the end, and that uh, I love that uh, the pile of uh, people that rises up out of the. Was the that? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. Was that? Um, oh goodness, his name is escaping me right now. Special uh, effects maestro from Italy of the time. He did eat. Uh, 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 not Rambaldi. Fuck. Yeah, that's who I was thinking um, of. Rambaldi. I don't think it was Rambaldi. I think it was uh, Stivaletti. Oh, Stivaletti was the other one. Yes, that's right. Sergio I'm Stivaletti, sure right? Stivaletti. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, no, this is good. This, uh, uh, but like I said, it's just it's just too uh, too uh, incoherent in certain spots to really make me put it into my favorites of uh, Suave's. Totally uh, fair. Totally fair. I go from there to my rewatch of the other Michele Suave that I did, uh, which was Stage Fright uh, from 1987. And it's pretty much a slasher movie set in a, uh, a theater with a guy in an owl mask. Um, a cumbersome owl mask. 
Oh my god, I don't know how he had any peripheral vision. None, none, no head on a swivel there. Do and those things could turn their heads 360 degrees. So yes, uh, or 180. I can't remember. Um, this is good. It's got. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the characters are all you know, kind of like bitchy actor types and or uh, dance types, uh, and the directors, you know, just a complete jerk. Um, but uh, you know, it's, they're they're interesting enough. They're individual enough, actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, to uh, to make you want to uh, see what's going to happen to each of them, or at least want to see how they're all going to get whacked. Um, this one, again, it just... For whatever elements it has that are outstanding, like the whole the whole dance theater thing, and, you know, obviously the, the spandex and all the neon-y kind of elements, and... Uh, the play itself about hookers getting killed. Uh, oh, yeah. um, you know, it, 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 then once you get into the, the stock and slash elements of it, it just, it just kind of goes back to being a, a kind of a straight up slasher flick. And that's kind of the thing that detracts from it for me. I still like it. I still like it a lot. Uh, but mostly again, it's more from the, uh, the visual and, uh, stylistic point of view than it is from, um, actually entertainment, um, entertainment value as far as the as far as any kind of originality is concerned right. uh, and not that these things need to be original but um, I don't know it just uh, didn't uh, didn't hit the target fair enough it would never never hit the target for me not quite like uh, like uh, some others do and uh, you know I, I get that I get why people like it um, but yeah uh, I or I should say I get why people love it Um but I, I just like I'm in the quite like uh, area myself for it. I quite like it. I, I again I think for me like the you know mid to late '80s, mid '80s to early '90s Italian stuff. Other than you know some of the Argento stuff, because um, he made some great stuff into the '80s. But I think excluding him and maybe a few others, I think 7.5 or so is kind of like the ceiling for me as far as where a lot of that stuff can go, you know, budgetary constraints and everything else. So, so where would you put this one? Uh, stage fright. I probably give it a seven and a half. I think it's as good as you can expect from the era of Italian genre filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um, the church, I probably give about a six, seven, five. Okay. You know, I think it's a bit messy. Like you said, even by Italian movie logic standards, (laughs) Uh, even I think there's times when Fulci would be like, "Whoa, that makes no sense," <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what other ones? The sect. Uh, that's fine. It's probably a little less than the church, you know. I, yeah, I, the sect is okay. There's one, the washing machine, that's quite good. I think it's Lindsay. It's very light cycle. I covered it because of Alan Loftiger. He picked it for like a a midnight ride <laughs> uh, some years ago, and it was quite good. I don't know that one. It's a good one. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, what's that label? Shameless? I think Shameless put it out. Okay. Well, I know that they're putting out the church, I think, in uh, October or November. Nice. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to own that one on Baby Blue. Very nice. I mean, if there's some good special features, I think I would be totally game for that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd be be interested to see see special, to see some uh, decent special features on that, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think with that one, I'll kick it back over to you because I only have uh, about five, six more. Cool. 
And you probably got to save some for the actual show, right? Doesn't matter. Okay, I gotta. And I'm, I'm sure I'll get. I'm sure I'll have more by then. I'll run through my stuff quickly because I am uh, actually running late on time here. Okay. I was convinced that I'd be done in an hour, but I should have known. It's like Groundhog Day. What am I thinking? Uh, uh, picked up a really obscure film called Viper from 1988. Um, uh, after Laura's husband is murdered, she decides to find out who did it and why. She finds herself in a fight against an anti-terrorist organization in her desire for revenge. Wow. So now I picked this one because the synopsis was great. It was the right era, 1988, and the fact that from what I had seen, uh, James Tolkien was completely off the fucking leash in this one. I mean, he's really, really going for it in this one. Um, and that's kind of the memory I have of it. Uh, it's fun. Ken Forey's in it. Um, plays a kid named Harley Trueblood. Uh, got a few other familiar faces. Jeff Kober. Um, but Tolkien's really the, the the selling point for this one. Kind of a fun, you know, uh, direct-to-video film of the era. Um, the wife and I went to see Don't Breathe in the theaters yeah. uh, because I, I quite liked um, Fetty Alvarez's Evil Dead. I've been on record yeah. to say I prefer it to the original, frankly, or, uh, even, or even part two. I don't know that I'd like it more than the original. I put it at equal to the original. Oh, that's okay. So I'm not hey, least... crazy, man. Mm. No, I like the I like the, the I like this version a lot, actually, mm. a lot more than I thought I was gonna. I'll well, same that. here. Now, you know, I, I'm pretty kind of like almost political about <laughs> about remakes, and I, you know, I said, you know what, let me give it a shake, and I really loved it. So we went to see this. Um, I don't think this is a perfect film by any stretch. Uh, you know, it's probably about a six and a half for me. But I, oh, I love Stephen Lang. Uh, I think Dylan Minnette's a perfectly serviceable young actor. Um, this hits a lot of obvious beats and has some sort of convenient things that happen. Um, but, I mean, you can do worse. It's nice and tight. It's, you know, under 90 minutes. Daniel Zavato is given the unfortunate kind of like white, white boy with cornrows look in this. Um, yeah, I mean, it has some convenient things. But, again... Uh, I think sometimes we have to step back and look at when you are watching a genre film, you can't have the same expectations that you would from from like a P.T. Anderson film. Mm-hmm. You know, does it do what it's out to do? And I think for the most part it succeeds, um, other than a few things that you know I'm willing to overlook. Again, probably like I, like I said, six and a half for me. Um, Next up was one with my dad and the boys. I was very excited to see this. Kubo and the Two Strings. Ah, okay. This was the team, I believe, that did Paranorman. And uh, they worked on Coraline. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. I almost loafed up a few times watching it. Uh, It's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, creates a beautiful world. The, The hand... The the claymation or whatever the term would be, the puppets or the... Uh, stop motion. Stop motion, there you go. Uh, the stop motion's great. Um, I really love this film. My kids love this film. I'm sitting beside my dad in the theater and we're all kind of... My dad and I are both kind of starting to loaf up a little bit. Um, yeah, it, this works. This absolutely works. Um, cool. I'd be curious, as someone else had said, to see the... And it's very atmospheric, too. Uh, like the sisters, these ghosts of the sisters, um, they're pretty creepy. Um, but I'd be curious to see the Japanese dub, to see how it how it shakes out. Because McConaughey's in it, and, you know, he's fine, I love him, but 
I don't know. Just it's a Japanese film, right? So okay. at least you know it's set in sort of a Japanese world. Um, next up, I watched uh, Too Scared to Scream. This was uh, mid '80s, '85. Uh, Tony Lobianco, uh, Italian American character actor, directed it. It's uh, kind of a slasher, sort of. Um, you'd remember the poster from the '80s from VH, like the VHS cover art, which is why I actually watched it, because I remember really loving that cover art as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Mike Connors, just kind of like a Columbo-y, not quite Columbo-y, but kind of Columbo-y detective. Ann Archer, Leon Isaac Kennedy, Ian McShane's in it. He plays a bit of a kind of dandy bellhop. John Hurd's in it. Um, this was good, you know, not great, but, but good, certainly. Um... Maximum Force. This is some prime time PM entertainment. Uh, Sam J. Jones, <laughs> uh, Jason Lively, and Sherry Rose team up as like the good guys. John mm-hmm. Saxon's their police captain. Mickey Rooney's the corrupt police chief. Richard Lynch, Richard Lynch, as the scuzzy, brutal LA crime lord with a Japanese name, Max Tanabe. <laughs> I just yeah. don't buy him as a scuzzy crime one. No, not at all. Sonny Landham shows up for a hot minute. Nice. Uh, this is fun. It's just, I mean, when you think of uh, PM Entertainment, this is, you know, this is, just hits it. Uh, then I watched The Cube, 1969. It was about an hour long. It's Jim Henson directed, which is why I watched it. A Man oh, is tr- The Cube, 1969. Huh. This was made for TV before Henson did the Muppet stuff. Uh, I think, obviously... The identically named film The Cube, or Cube, is heavily indebted to this. Uh, a man is trapped inside a mysterious cube. This yeah. feels, again, very sort of Twilight Zone-y. Um, I liked it. It was interesting to see him outside of what we know and love him for. Um, you know, it's not a masterwork, but this and like that one, La Cabina, or the phone booth, or whatever it was called, The Box, mm-hmm. were kind of interesting exercises for me. Uh, what else did I watch here? Because I got a f- not too many more. T-Rex, good documentary about uh, Clarissa Shields, Flint, Michigan girl who wanted to become the first woman in history to win a gold medal in Olympic boxing. It's on Netflix. Good stuff. You know, uh, raw. Um, I watched a Alan Renee short documentary about uh, the production of polystyrene. In a French factory, okay, which is more beautiful and poetic than you would think. Um, well, Rene has that quality. Yeah, yeah he sure does. Um, next up, I watched a really hard to find Bergman. I know you and I have talked about Bergman a fair bit whenever we speak, and just how I'm really, really admire him. And the more I see of him, and the older I get, and the more I'm in the throes of domesticity in life, um, the more I think of him as just you know one of the best to ever you know step behind a camera. Um, yeah. This is about uh, four sister, uh, four women, and they're just kind of recounting stories about their marriage to the four these four brothers. Um, so a lot of flashbacks and stuff, kind of an anthology of sorts. Okay, I would say it's maybe not. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't catch the title. Secrets of women. Secrets of women. Okay. It goes under a few other titles, and it's hard to find. This is why I picked it. It was on Hulu, but it's not like Criterion doesn't actually have it out yet. Like in a physical release, but you know, good stuff, solid. Like you know, maybe an eight, maybe seven, seven, five, eight. Um, 
Next up, another Les Blank documentary, the one I've been circling forever, it seems, and I finally watched, and this is just fantastic. Uh, it's The Maestro, King of the Cowboy Artists. Uh, yeah, I saw you watch that. Yeah. Man, this one's really good, and I think this, again, I love seeing people that inhabit their own world and in a very sort of um, sweet way they embrace um, they really go for a sort of celebrity and their their creative passions in a, in a way that's um, not unaware or oblivious but the the titular maestro in this is quite a character um, you know almost feels like a I don't know Coen Brothers character I don't know he just fascinating to see though really good stuff really good stuff um Got around to, I'm so excited, finally. Yes. This what was, you think? I liked it, man. It was good. It was solid. Middle. I would say it's lesser Almodovar, but... It, oh, yeah. It's not top tier, but... No, it's but it's good. still good. Like, still sort of like 7, 2, 5, 7, 5. Looks yeah. great. It's funny. I think I probably went a little bit higher than you on this one. I think you did, actually, from what I remember. You're the Almodovar nut. I know. Yeah. But it was, it was good, though. I'm glad I watched it. It was on Netflix. Finally, finally. Yeah. Uh, dipped into another Ghibli with the kids, Kiki's Delivery Service. Okay. Um, I don't it, think I've seen that one. This one's cool. Young Witch uh, has a year of independence at 13. She has to go to a new community and kind of find herself. She ends up running an air courier service. Being a witch, that would make sense, right? Flies a broom. The kids love this. In fact, they said to me, they go, Dad, they go, don't get upset. But we like it more than Totoro. And I was like, don't, why would I be upset? That means we're two for two with Ghibli. Well, they were lukewarm on Porco Rosso, but... Yeah, I can see that kind of. Yeah, but I mean, Kiki's is really good, really good stuff. Um, then I decided to rewatch "Time Me Up, Time Me Down," and it'd been a few years since I saw it, and I watched it with my mom, and that was a bit awkward in spots. I could imagine. Yeah, especially you know with the uh, little, um, <laughs> like the wind-up scuba diver that's uh, working his way to Victoria Briel's pussy. That was a bit <laughs> awkward. Um, you know, my mom's got a good sense of humor, and we can watch some stuff. But yeah, some stuff just isn't made to watch with moms. And I should yeah. have remembered that. Yeah, some of it not so much. But again, great Almodovar. It's great to see um, Benderis that young. Just got a few more here. Uh, Time without pity. This was again the uh, uh, the Criterion synopsis really sold me on it. Let me see if I can bring it up because the IMDb one isn't that good. Um, it's a British film. It's got Michael um, Michael Redgrave in it. Okay. Joseph Losey film. Um, I can't find the... Uh, let me try to find it here. Overview. I think the TCM one will be juicy. No, this doesn't quite. It's a very short one. It says, A father comes to the aid of his son who is on death row. Basically what it is is Redgrave is a boozer... His son has 24 hours to live before he's executed. The boozer journalist father wants to do everything he can to absolve his son of this wrongdoing. And it's, you know, kind of a bit noiry and pulpy and um, got a really powerful ending. Um, I quite liked it. And I think, you know, someone like Scott Clickers and, you know, some other people really like it. It's, it's some pretty good performances throughout. One of the leads, you know, is a bit over the top, but... You know, 50s cinema, you tend to get that at times. Um, this is also on Criterion, or on Hulu, via the Criterion Collection. Um, it's got a pretty... It's been on on DVD. Oh, man, the DVD's going for 45 bucks. Oh, Jesus. Yikes. But it's a good one. Um, not a world beater, but I quite liked it. 
Next up was uh, Knock Knock, shifting gears completely. Knock Knock, Eli Roth. Um, I, you know, I wanted to watch him with the wife. She'd watched a lot of kind of very um, esoteric stuff with me. So I figured, let's put this on. If nothing else, it'll be fun. We'll kind of just, you know, grumble about it. Um, i got to say, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it's not great. It's trashy, but it's, you know, fun, cheesy trash. Um, Keanu Reeves is more energetic than I've maybe ever seen him in a film. Okay. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing. I think he's he's better when he's relaxed. Um, I, I, I like him as a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think he's very rangy as an actor, but I think he seems like a wonderful human being. Yeah. Um, but this is a fun little film. It's, like I said, it's cheesy, trashy. You can do a lot worse than this. And Anna uh, is good in it. Did you see Green Inferno? I have not. Okay. So you skipped Green Inferno and went right to Knock Knock. And also skipped the earthquake when he did too. Or he did produced maybe he maybe he produced it. And he starred in it. I don't know. Quake or Shake or Wow, that one completely went under my radar. Right before that, because a lot of the actors and actresses in Green Inferno and Knock Knock were from Aftershock. Huh. Aftershock. He's one of the stars of it, and he produced it. He you know, hitched his name on. and Yeah. But uh, this was... I like this. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of went on this kick of, like, domestic anxiety thrillers um, with Knock Knock and Don't Breathe and Emily, which I'll talk about in a minute. And The Invitation, so kind of a weird, unintended thing. Um, William wanted to stay up and watch a French movie. Whenever he wants to stay up and watch something with me, he'll say, can I stay up and watch a French movie with you, Dad? He knows I'm going to watch Criterion. So I said, well, what do you want to watch? And I started flipping through the Criterion collection, and he said, let's watch a samurai film. So threw on Zadoichi and the Chest of Gold. Nice. Uh, and it was color, and it was more pacey than some of the other ones. Yep. Yep. He dug it, but it was late. You know, It was about 11 o'clock when we put it on, so uh, he enjoyed what he saw. Uh, it's a good one. It's it's fun, you know, to see uh, Tomisaburo Wakayama with a whip. It's worth the price of admission alone. Hell yeah. Uh, next up was Emily. This uh, E-M-E-L-I-E, not Emily. Um, I watched this uh, on Netflix. Uh, unknown quantity complete to me. I didn't know I'd know it, even seen it, but I don't know what it was. It just, uh, you know, kind of a modern thriller, babysitter, kind of evil babysitter film. Threw it on. And uh, it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel, but it's it's handsomely made. The lead in it reminds me a bit of a, you know, Sorcha Ronin. You know, not probably not quite as talented, but still talented. Um, the first half's pretty awkward and anxious. Um, doesn't stick the landing, but you can do worse. I think I give it about a six six point two five. And a couple of our British friends um, have watched it, and and they kind of thought the same thing I did. So, uh, and then finally, I watched the Karen uh, Kusma film. The Invitation, which I know a lot of people were watching over the past year or so, or past few months, it seems. It's on Netflix? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen this? No, I have not. Uh, this was good. Um, I really like how, as we get further away, you know, we get into this. I, I was thinking about this when I was watching it. Much like with music, how music gets more fractured and you get more genres and subgenres. And as the further out the ripple goes, the more the tree branches off into the, you know, you get like. Um, you know, certain kinds of home invasion film. Now, there's a subgenre within a subgenre. And I like mm-hmm. how things keep fragmenting. And this is um, this is a good film. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, um, but 
it, it's good. You know, it, it takes its time. It's well made. Good looking film. Uh, the acting is quite good. I'm not a big fan of Michael Huisman from Game of Thrones. I really don't like him. He's one of the leads in it. He was the guy. He's like um, Daenerys Targaryen's. Not like the old Jonah Mormont guy, but the other guy with like the brown hair and the beard. Anyway, I don't like him. Oh, 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 oh I yeah. really don't like him, and he's one of the leads in it. But Logan Marshall Green is, I mean, almost a spitting image of Tom Hardy. Yeah. It's uncanny <laughs> to see. Uncanny. He's like the slimmer version of Tom Hardy. Um, he's really the good. The guy they call Tom Hardy Jr.? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, this was a good I really dug this one, though, man. Um, it's got a kind of a an interesting cast. Um it's kind of awkward and you know i like these john carroll lynch you know uh great character actors in it i like films that uh they give us you know this is a patient film and it it's not afraid to stretch its legs and it doesn't need to get into the meat and potatoes right away and it slowly kind of ratchets up the social anxiety of the film and Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was good it's on instant so i I recommend that one man solid solid stuff and then we rewatched the peanuts movie today over dinner which I'm a big Peanuts fan. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, I couldn't like clean house in Jeopardy, but I'm a pretty big Peanuts fan. Most people that know me know that um, as I'm looking at like a pewter Lucy that's on my desk right now. Um, and I was, we saw it in theaters. I, I was quite happy with uh, this version of it. I think it, it lovingly, um, uh, it, it loves the source material and doesn't try to depart too much from it. It has heart. And it is still very sweet. It maintains its sweetness. So. Yeah, I think this one. I think that one's crawling up my uh, Netflix queue slowly but surely. Yeah, it's it's sweet. Invitation or peanuts? Uh, peanuts. Okay, cool, cool. The invitation is probably going to be years before I can get around to it. No, I hear you, man. Um, so kick it over to me then. Oh, we can. Yeah, sure. If you want. Oh, are you? Uh, no, are you done? Uh, I'm probably unless you want to. There's one or two you want to talk about right now because I'm already. No, no, no. Yeah, please keep going. No, I'm I'm done. But oh, okay. I, but the wife, uh, I had to, I promised the missus I'd be done. So if you want to talk about a couple, uh, before uh, I will. You know what? I'm just going to hit one, uh, okay. and it's Billy Wilder's The Fortune Cookie from 1966. Ooh, I've never even uh, heard of this. Oh yeah, uh, Walter Matthau, uh, Jack Lemmon. Uh, this is the first time that they appeared on screen together, and it is the Matthau hour. Uh, 100%. He is absolutely outstanding in this. Aside from being a great Billy Wilder movie, just in general. Um, I mean, you'd really just go gotta watch the guy go because he he is he is on fire the entire way. What's it uh, Lemon? Uh, the, the um, it's really good. It shows up on TCM every now and again, so you could probably DVR it off of there. Um, it's uh, it's about this guy who's uh, a cameraman for the, the NFL, and he gets hit by one of the guys who runs offline, uh, offsides, whatever. Out of bounds. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, his uh, brother-in-law, who's Walter Matthau, uh, decides that they're going to like basically turn this into a thing, uh, and he's going to sue okay. everybody and all this sort of thing. And it goes from there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really good, uh, especially just. I mean, you're every moment of the film, you're just sitting there waiting for Matthau to come back on and, and you know start going again. Um, it also has Judy West in it, who I'm not especially huge on blondes, but there's something about her that's just really nice, um, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, it gets a little bit dark with the the message at the end, but uh, other than that, it's it's pretty breezy and pretty uh, 
pretty nicely moving. Uh, definitely a high recommend. Uh, I liked it a lot. I think a lot of times we lose sight of how great an actor Mathau was because he tended oh, yeah. to do a lot of comedy. Like, well, yeah, but, I mean, he did others. I mean, Taking a Pelham One, Two, Three, Charlie, The Laughing Varick, Policeman, Charlie Varick, yeah. Hopscotch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a quality actor, man. Yeah, he no. could hang with most. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, so, and I will just stop there. All right, that is the uh, the medium sized show this week. Uh, Everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for your patience, um, and of course, thank you to Todd for you know the Prince bringing a little. Uh, I don't know if regality is a word, but uh, I'm going to make one up if it isn't. Is regality a word? Probably not. Right? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Well, he, he brings a regal air to uh, the proceedings every week. Yes, and if you made it this far through the show, then thank you for putting up with me, him coming and on and. Losing the oh regality is a word. It's the state of being a king or queen or royal. See that? There you go. I'm just making shit up as I go for once. Hey, that's all right. Nice, but uh, stay tuned. Uh, you guys are going to be covering um, uh, Del Morte Del Amore and the Gong Show. So, what are you guys going to call that? The Del Morte Del Amore Show, maybe. I'm hoping that. Oh, I don't even know. Nice. The Della Gong, I got nothing. Della Gong, we'll leave that one to Sammy. The cunning, <laughs> the, the, culling, the cunning linguist can come up with yes, that. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, excellent. Um, I will be back full time when you get to hear the um, the audio menage from the three of us. Uh, scheduling, schedulings, scheduling, schedules, permitting. Yes. Uh, and with that, and as always, there's only one thing left to say. Adios. Adios.